Hey everybody, it's Wattar. It's new format. It's a little quicker, tighter with music. This is the idlings of Greg Gilbertson and his most excellent band. They've written a song for us called Gagi Marjos for Wattar. Why are we talking about rabbits? Starts now. All right, guys, let's talk about war. That's right. Today, we're going to talk about old school war as opposed to new school war. Last week, go check out the pod. We talked about about total war. Now we're back doing more war. And this set of pods is all about how things may or may not have changed when it came to war. Spoiler alert, I'm not sure they changed that much. I think the way that people understand them is fundamentally different, them being wars. But let's take a deep dive, shall we? First, the the theoretical change. You can best believe right now that there has been an addendum to to all the war theories ever written, and that thing is called Total War. It was written by a guy named Carl Van Clausewitz, as my last pod let you know. And basically, he came up with, and people have added to, and eventually formulated four basic fundamental fundamental ideas about modern war, total war. First, mobilization. Everyone gets to play. We talked last week about how Europe mobilized 65 million people. That's just the men to fight in World War I. There are another 65 million women mobilized to support those men. World War II was the same. Mobilization. Total mobilization, a total blurring of the roles of soldiers and civilians. This is the second principle of total war, right? Total war says killing non-combatants may be necessary. In fact, there may not be such a thing as non-combatants. This is a, a light people concept we call total war. The third principle that has been adopted, and we saw it all through the 20th century, is There is a rejection in total war theory of a compromise of peace. It's we win or we die. War is thus. War is this way. Total war theory says go all in or don't go at all. And the fourth and final principle, and you can hear some of these echoing about in a place we call Ukraine. The fourth and final principle of total war is that victory must include victory in the heart the mind, and the wallet of your enemy. They come all the way over. Society, government, economics, religion, you win it all. And we talked about how with that stuff in mind, with those four principles in mind, that often total war does not end because shooting stops. That's what people of the new world, at least Many of the war theorists on this side of the Enlightenment have taught us. And truth be told, it is exactly what has happened at least twice in the 19th and 20th centuries. I think many, many more times. In real time, involving hundreds and hundreds of millions of people. And if you really think about it, most of us out here in modern world, well, we do kind of rebel against the idea that when the shooting starts, that 
there should be laws. Like, it's war. Most of us, I think, instinctively, like, dude, if killing people is okay because it's a war, then, heck, I don't know. All the rules are, I mean, it's murder. It's killing. If you can kill somebody, well, I don't know. But don't take their candlesticks. Hey, look, I shut up this family. But maybe I shouldn't take their car. Yeah. It's, I think us modern people don't do well trying to think that there might be etiquette in war. Yeah. The ICRC, the right the International Committee for, for the Red Cross, basically the Red Cross has this booklet called The Introduction to the Law of Armed Conflict Basic Knowledge. <laughs> and in it, and we'll link it, in it you pretty much see that every law of armed conflict is currently being broken in Ukraine. And weirdly, in every war. And if you're a modern or maybe you're like me, you, you just say, but duh. Because it's a war. And then you think that document is dumb. And when you read through it, you're like, none of these rules apply, it seems. Right? Like, theft actually is something you should not do in war. But what? Right? Killing of noncombatants. They go through a whole litany of them. Here's one. You shouldn't poison water. What? We just had a government send bombs that jump all over the place and don't explode till later on people who are trying to go get clean water. Like, what? I'm not supposed to poison water? It feels like that's all I should do. Anyway, what I'm trying to tell you is, is that it's hard for modern people to imagine there's rules, but there are rules. Let's look at some. Well, let's look at, anyway, how one old world society, Mesopotamia, pagans, I like saying the word pagans. Pagans is a fun word. Multi-polytheist people of Mesopotamia. Let's look how they did it, just as one example. We'll get to others, don't worry. Sargon of Akkad, he proposed the theory of war. And you can find the article linked that I'm using, but there's lots of articles. I'm trying to use just my brain, right? And I, I think there's relevance here. So a little context, Sargon is doing the work of creating an empire a long, long time ago. He, he, you're talking 2300 BC. Many people think Sargon, who's a Mesopotamian, right? Think, think, think Middle East, think Iraq. This cat 2300 years ago is conquering all the Sumerian city-states and uniting them under one thing called an empire. Many historians think he's the first person to ever rule over an empire. So how does Sargon, of Arcadia, how does the how do the Akkadians help us make a distinction? Old world and new. Well, first, Sargon was doing the work of heaven. Like he was trying to mirror heaven when he killed people. Mm -hmm. He was trying to get things into alignment here by imaging up there, heaven. So what was he trying to image? Well, the heavenly realm was understood, right, to be a place of war. The world was a blueprint of heaven, and heaven was a place of war. The gods of Acadia were battlers. They fought each other. It was normal. The good gods defeated the bad gods. 
a couple bad gods, Asag, a bad god, destroyed. Tiamat, a bad god, dismembered. His body became the physical world, including the body of humans. War created the world. War was, in many ways, the skeleton, the DNA of society. It was the underpinning, the chassis. I like that word, chassis. Sargon fought. He imaged his gods. So Sargon's worldview was not a bunch of gods eating grapes and watching over humanity. They were, they were rapacious gods. In fact, as Sargon describes it, the only gods his people could really count on were the patron gods of their own city. And even they could abandon their own city if the people didn't sacrifice properly. Old school, old world. People wrestled with the gods. Demons were everywhere. Priests sacrificed for, for protection. Life was struggle. And guess what? Sargon was the chosen one. He was the king of struggle. He was meant to struggle. He was meant to create order. And proper order was war. That feels total to me. But is it akin to the modern theory of total war? Ha. Huh the one we talked about last week and that I opened with. Well, I'm going to paraphrase Carl von Clausewitz, who wrote On War in the 1800s, but I'm going to paraphrase him. I won't quote him because he's not a good writer. His theory, his book On War, which is the premise and the foundation for total war, well, it says this about war, that war is the interplay between three sort of poles, First, passions of the people. Think violence, hatred. Think what happens to you, I don't know, when you see, let's say you see someone knocking on your door to force a vaccine on you. I don't know if that happened, but if that did happen, kind of happened. If it did happen, then you might get angry. Even if you wanted the vaccine, you might get angry. So think of that anger welling up in you. Clausewitz says that is one pole or one foundational triangular pole out of three. The second one that defines war is the insertion of armed forces into the passionate situation. So you don't have war if you just got a bunch of pissed off people. You don't have war if you got a military inserted in there, but close. The third thing you need to have war is you need a rational decision-making body called what he calls a government. If you have a government and you have a military and you have passionate people who are pissed, you have a war, or at least the presuppositions, the possibility of war. People, warriors, politicians. So if you can see the screen right now, if you can't see it, I'm showing you a triangle. And this is Klausowitz's classic approach, that there are three necessary presuppositions or functions or variables when it comes to war. You got to have the people, you got to have the armed forces, and you got to have the government. And he associates people with passion, the armed services with chance, or what he calls logistical probability. In other words, they have to go to the right places to be involved. And when they do, they, they, they change the equation. And then finally, the government, which is symbolized by reason. 
Notice that at the top of the triangle that you're looking at, if you're still looking, the top of the triangle is reason. Politicians wielding the power of the government are the rational players in any war. They attribute reason to the politicians, right? And so why does he do that? Because it's not a war if you just go out with your hair on fire and start breaking the windows of your neighbors and, I don't know, killing them. That's just passion. War is necessary at times, says Clausewitz, because it is a rational decision made by politicians. Right? But let's put up another triangle. This is a triangle that asserts the presuppositions or the important parts of old world war as per the Mesopotamians. This comes from a guy named Dr. Michael Circuits. He's a, he writes, he's a, he's a military guy. I think he's actually a corporal. And he writes this document. I already told you about it. It's, it's posted where there's a triangle that demonstrates what Sargon, what Sargon held as the most important. And if you see, you got to have a king who represents order. You can see it up there. You got to have the armed forces, which represent competition. And then the third thing you must have in the old world of the Mesopotamian war monger is the divine realm. In other words, to fight a war is to bring in the divine realm, which is in Sargon's world, the realm of struggle. Right? The highest form, the very core of the existence of the old world Mesopotamians was heaven, and heaven was struggle. And if you notice, what's happening is the Mesopotamians saw demons and gods and everything as dictating, right, as dictating the grounds for war. In other words, the spiritual world, which was struggle, was deeply involved in everything that was happening, including the decisions. Reason? No. In this way, war was irrational. Total war, in this way, was the opposite of total war in 2023. If you don't believe me, <laughs> before we sign off, I want to take you to a video from a documentary on the Battle of Bull Run. This is a documentary. It's hot. So I'm playing it right now. I want you guys, it, it, there it goes. You're hearing horses neighing. This is very important in any Civil War documentary. Look, there's the Civil War, guys. Look, look, cannons. There's a little farmhouse. This is a Civil War scene, 1861. First battle of Civil War, first major battle. And what do you have? A Civil War scene with soldiers. And then a lady in a corset. What? Oh, look, there's a child. Look, he's riding his made-up little stick pony. Oh, look, there's some guys drinking scotch with cameras. Oh, and look, there's guys shooting wooden... Oh, they're playing. They're young kids. This is fun. It's a picnic. It used... Why is there a picnic at the Battle of Bull Run? Many of you will remember this from when you took like eighth grade history. You'll be like, no, they didn't. No way, dude. But there they go. 
I have actual footage. Why am I telling you this? Because if you look, the Battle of Bull Run, the, the beginning of the Civil War, which is one of the bloody, bloodiest, nastiest wars maybe ever fought, at the very beginning, you see the vestiges of old world war. And the vestige has something to do with the separation, a proper a separation of certain combatants and certain others. There's a separation. There's a sense, and we'll leave it at this, and we'll come back next week. We'll look at this video again and a couple others. There's a sense that what's going to happen to you is not going to happen to me. Because I'm a woman, and you're a man. That's not the only characteristic of Old World War. It's very different. And I'm going to argue by the end of this thing that there's actually just total war, always, everywhere. But there is a different set of rules. And I think that video, which, by the way, that video, that that's a, it's a fake, I know. But there are newspaper, we'll put some newspaper pictures up next year, next next week, to show this happening. This happened. There were reporters with women out there and doing picnics. That's next time. This is this time. This is this time. www.first-things.org. Check us out. Uh, and check out this music as we play it out. And most of all, thanks for being supporters. It is a blessed thing to be here talking about things and yada yada. Join us, by the way, for Inside Baseball. I would love that. If you would come along, become a recurring donor, and then once a month we talk about my Substack article, which, by the way, has just come out, and it is on human rights. What is a human right, anyway? Check it out. John here's Substack. Heavy things done lightly. Peace out. See you next week.